Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. Last week, we announced a couple pretty big things that are happening in the life of our church over the next several months. One is that we uh, have purchased the building at Six and Clay and are in the process of renovating it and preparing to relocate our Sunday gatherings there as soon as the world reopens, whenever that is, and we're excited about that. And the second announcement is that we are getting to be part of a church planting endeavor. And so this morning we've got Pastor Nathan Riley here with us, and I want to take a few minutes uh, to hear more about this opportunity and uh, what's happening. So, Nathan, we uh, kind of been talking this thing up as a church plant, but in a lot of ways it's a replant. Yeah. Um, but tell us about where you're headed and uh, what the opportunity is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in North Portland, uh, there's this uh, kind of collection of neighborhoods on this peninsula that's formed by the, the sort of the Willamette where it meets the Columbia, and in particular, a neighborhood called St. John's. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a church that's been in St. John's for almost 20 years, it planted back in 2002. Um, and over the, the last few years uh, have kind of dwindled and been um, struggling, but also recognizing that they're desiring uh, sort of a new movement of the gospel, some new leadership um, and, and a new wave of energy and recognizing their, their elder team, recognizing that they think they need some help from the outside to be able to make that happen. So for a couple of years, they've been looking for a new leader, a new pastor to jump in and help kind of pioneer a new, um, a new movement there. And so... Yeah, they, they reached out and we had some, some conversations about what it would look like, um, not, not to plant a church from scratch, but effectively to, to replant or to revitalize um, this, this movement. And um, yes, we're really excited about it. So great. Yeah. And so you and your family have been here in Bend for almost two years now. Yeah. And uh, you've been serving as our pastor of worship and formation and have been a huge blessing to our congregation. Um, but your real passion really is in the world of church planting and your gifting in the area of preaching, teaching, and leadership. So talk a little bit more about kind of uh, your journey towards this new opportunity and how uh, you sense that God has kind of uniquely prepared and wired you for this work. Yeah. Um, I really, I think that from the beginning of our time and season in ministry, God really birthed in our hearts the desire um, to, to serve the local church in particular through the work of church planting. And so this is all the way back uh, like in 2004, 2005, when we were feeling the, the call to ministry. Um, and so in our time prior to Antioch, uh, we were church planters over in the valley in Albany. And um, we're very excited about the work that God was doing there. Um, that was a beautiful season. And came to the end of that season, recognizing that, that we needed some, uh, I guess, some rest and recuperation. And that's when we began conversations about coming to Antioch and serving here in Bend, um, kind of in the area of worship, but also recognizing that in terms of faithfulness to our calling and our passion and, and what we feel that, that God has really prepared us to do, um, Part of our season here in Bend has been praying and looking forward to God. What do you 
what do you got next for us? What is this going to look like? And so over the last few months, we felt um, very convinced that God was speaking really clearly about this next calling to be involved in, like you said, the work of preaching and, and, and teaching and leadership and um, evangelism and really the work of, of church planting or replanting. Yeah. So we're, we're stoked on it. Sounds like a great fit for you guys and an exciting move. Yeah. 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 So um, walk us through a little bit of what this season looks like in terms of preparation. You're going to stay on staff here at Antioch for the rest of May and June, still helping out, overseeing some worship stuff, but also kind of what we're calling an embedded church planter. Yeah. Um, so what's kind of the timeline and what is this? time look like yeah yeah exactly so this this role of embedded church planter we're spending quite a bit of our time right now already in conversations with the uh the elders and the leaders at, at red sea church every week we're jumping into zoom meetings with their small groups getting to meet the members of the church there um, and doing a lot of the work of kind of wrapping our mind around the particular context of north portland uh, it looks very very different than bend uh, church there is going to look different than church in bend and so trying to do some of that work on the front end of preparing ourselves and, and our family, but then also just the logistical works of, um, yeah, getting ready to sell a house and move and find a place there. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of groundwork. Another big piece of that has been fundraising. So uh, Red Sea Church uh, that we're moving to in, in St. John's, uh, it's, it's a very small church, maybe 40 to 50 people. And as a result, we're needing to do some fundraising to help bring in some support from the outside to be able to, um, to, be able to help sort of supplement their budget so that they can, um, yeah, do the, the ministry moving forward that, that God's called them to. So. Yeah. So it's a lot of work to do in the next month and a half. It is a lot of work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things that Antioch's so excited about is, I mean, the idea of multiplication in general that yeah. is kind of intrinsic to the gospel, that disciples make disciples, leaders make leaders, churches yeah. make churches. And so we're stoked to be involved at that level, but also at a relational level. I mean, of course, you and I go way back. We've been yeah. friends, ministry partners in various contexts. But in a lot of ways, what we're seeing is an opportunity um, to continue to partner in ministry in a whole new way, kind of our church here in Bend and the new replant in Portland. And so Antioch is committed as a church to a, um, a significant amount of the funding that, yeah. that you're going to need. Um, what are other ways that as a church um, and as individuals in the congregation, we can uh, get involved, ways that we can pray um, or opportunities even to help out? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I think one of the big ones right off the bat is prayer. Um, and so if the church can set, I don't know if it's reminders on their phone or what, but be praying for us regularly, that's huge. Um, in particular, one of our, our biggest prayer requests at this moment is um, we're needing to sell our house. And so um, I would even throw that out to the community of Antioch. If somebody's looking to buy a house or knows somebody that is and wants to put them in touch with us, that would be amazing. Oh. Um, but yeah, we've got to be able to sell our house in order to, to move into the neighborhood where we're going to be doing ministry. And um, yeah, so, so that's a huge prayer need. Yeah, um, yeah and, then, and then I think the other one, that is, is a really exciting opportunity to throw out there would be for the, the members of Antioch to prayerfully consider what it might look like to join us in the mission. 
Yeah. So I would say if, if there are members of the community that have considered the idea of moving to the greater Portland metro area or members that feel particularly called to the context of North Portland, um, which is, if we're honest, it's it's kind of a rough neighborhood. <laughs> Historically, one of the rougher neighborhoods in the Portland area. It's, yeah. it's incredibly uh, diverse um, racially and socioeconomically. Um, it's, it's a place where uh, there's fairly high levels of poverty and crime. And yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a tough context, but a context ripe with opportunity for the gospel and for Jesus's reconciliation to, yeah. to break in and, and restore stuff. So, so we're stoked on that. And I would yeah. say uh, to, to the congregation, if that speaks to your heart and or if you feel like you want to come and be a part of a new movement of the gospel, planting a new church, man, we would love, uh, we would love to talk to anybody that's interested, yeah. um, share more information and, and invite them to, to come be a part of the mission. So, so exciting. Yeah. yeah. So we're stoked that it's not like Nathan and Carrie are just leaving, but really that we're getting to send you guys. Yeah. And, um, and so that would be true for us at a church level as well. If there is anybody within this congregation that is interested in finding more about what it would look like to join the Rileys in this replanting work uh, or even relocating to Portland, we would celebrate that uh, as well. And uh, maybe God's prompting your heart that way. So Nathan, we are so excited for what God's doing in you and for the the work that's ahead and look forward to many years of ongoing partnership uh, between our two churches and uh, we'll enjoy these last couple months that we have together before we send you off. Yeah, absolutely. And we're stoked. So thank you. Sweet. Well, we're in a series called Jesus Speaks, the red letters after resurrection. And this morning, we come to the red letters in Acts chapter 10. We've been talking about how the book of Acts tells the story of the first 30 years of Christianity and how the gospel of Jesus spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Or in other words, how this small messianic Jewish movement in Jerusalem spread to the whole world and changed the course of human history forever. One of the major plot points in the story is when Christianity first spreads among non-Jewish people. And it all starts with a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. In the beginning of Acts 10, we're told that Cornelius was a God-fearing man who gave generously to those in need and who prayed to God regularly. And at one point, Cornelius has this vision, and an angel from the Lord tells him that God has heard his prayers and has a special mission for him. And the mission for Cornelius is to send some of his men to a city called Joppa and to find a guy named Peter and to bring him back to Caesarea. And like a good soldier, Cornelius follows God's orders and sends his men to go find Peter. So that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. While Cornelius' men are on their way to Joppa, Peter has a vision. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter kill and eat. 
Have you ever noticed those red letters before? Kill and eat? When we think about the teachings of Christ, I don't think most of us think about Acts 10.13, but this is every carnivorous Christian's favorite one of Jesus' commands, uh, especially where I came from. You guys know I grew up in a tiny redneck timber town in Western Oregon where opening day of hunting season was basically a sacred holiday. In fact, my senior year of high school, I was on the football team and we made the playoffs but our starting quarterback drew an elk tag that fall, so he ditched our last game of the year to go hunting. And pretty much everybody in the town was like, yeah, that makes sense. So I'm not sure if he ever read Acts 10.13. Actually, I'm not sure if he could read, but he would have really liked this verse. Um, but what's really happening here isn't about Jesus being pro-hunting or pro-meat-eating. In the vision, Jesus shows Peter this sheet full of all kinds of animals, some of which would have been considered impure or unclean, according to Jewish dietary regulations. And Jesus tells Peter that he's free to eat of any of them. And Peter's like, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And then in verse 15, Jesus responds, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So here's where we begin to understand that Peter thinks the vision is about what he's allowed to eat, but it's actually about who he's called to love. See, up until this point, Christianity had been a movement made up of only Jewish people. They saw Jesus as the Jewish Messiah and worshipped him as the king of the Jews, not as someone who would save the whole world and call all people to himself. And so in a very real way, the first 10 years of Christianity, it was a monocultural, monoethnic, monoracial faith. But now Jesus shows up in Peter's vision and rebukes him for treating some people as if they were unclean, for thinking that only his fellow Jews were to be included in the community of Christians. And apparently Peter had such a hard time getting it that verse 16 tells us that Jesus had to tell him the exact same thing three times. And then starting in verse 17, Cornelius' men, these three non-Jewish messengers, arrive and Peter starts to understand that Jesus was calling him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Peter goes with Cornelius' men back to Caesarea and when Peter and Cornelius finally meet, they tell each other all about the visions that God had given each of them. And that's when Peter gets the chance to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, with Cornelius and his entire household. And they all believe the good news and they're baptized. And here we have the first non-Jewish Christians in history. So this story in Acts chapter 10 is often referred to as the conversion of Cornelius the first Gentile to become Christian. But if you look at the text carefully, what it's really emphasizing is the conversion of Peter. 
It would be easy to read this story as Peter, the heroic Jewish Christian missionary, taking the gospel to Cornelius, the poor, unreached Gentile. But it's really more about Jesus confronting and rebuking Peter for refusing to love his fellow human beings who were made in God's image. See, to really understand the significance of this story, you have to pay attention to its setting. Where does all of this go down? Well, it goes down in a city called Joppa, which is about 24 miles south of Caesarea, right next to modern-day Tel Aviv. Luke, the author of Acts, mentions Joppa 10 times in this story, which tells his readers to pay attention to where this is happening. So what's the big deal about Joppa? Well, do you remember another story in the Bible that happens in Joppa? There's only one. It's the story of Jonah. When God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, Instead, Jonah went to Joppa to catch a ship to Tarshish. So why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Well, we know it's because he despised the Ninevites and he didn't want God to show them mercy. So Jonah was a Jewish prophet who had compassion on his fellow Israelites. But God was asking him, to see the other and to extend his love and his care to those who were different, of a different culture, a different race, a different ethnicity. But Jonah said no, and he went to Joppa instead. And so Luke wants his readers to begin to make a connection between Peter's story and Jonah's story. How many times does Jesus show Peter the vision of the animal? Three. And think about Peter and the number three. When Jesus is arrested, how many times does Peter deny knowing him? Three. And then after Jesus' resurrection, when he appears to Peter at Galilee, how many times does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? Three. So, Three is a special number for Peter. It's a number of denial and restoration. It's a number of second chances, a number of grace, a number of new beginnings. And so when Jesus appears to Peter three times in this vision, it's a conversion story. Peter is once again being converted to Christ. So again, I would argue that this story is more about Peter's conversion than the conversion of Cornelius. So back to Jonah. In Jonah's story, a ship to Tarshish was waiting at Joppa. And we know that Jonah boarded the ship in an act of ethnocentric arrogance and the refusal to love the other. But in Peter's story, a group of Gentiles were waiting at Joppa. And thankfully, after his encounter with Jesus, Peter goes with them, and he learns to love the other. The whole story is about the conversion of Peter, 
the disciple who had to be converted to genuinely see and love and care for people of other cultures, ethnicities, and races. And this is an area where many Christians today are still unconverted. We want to love Jesus, but we haven't yet learned how to see, love, and care for those who are different than us, those whose story is different than ours, those whose lived experience we can't even imagine. Last week, the tragic news of the murder of Ahmad Arbery spread across the world. And on top of his death, which was horrible enough, it was the explanation, the justification, and the cover-up that ensued that really exposed just how deep the roots of racism are in our country. The truth is, I'll never really know what it's like to experience the world as a person of color. I'm a white man. Whether I'm aware of it or not, my whiteness shapes every part of my life and the way that I see the world. But Jesus wants me to see the world in a new way. Just like he did with Peter, he wants to give me a new way of looking at those who are different than me. He wants to convert me to be a person who can genuinely see, love, and care for those of other cultures, ethnicities, and races. I'll never truly understand what it's like for my African-American friends to grieve yet another lynching of one of their own. But I think Jesus wants me to try. Try to see what they might be seeing try to imagine what they might be feeling. In fact, Jesus' most famous teaching, the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, this is an invitation to imagine being another person. If I were black or Asian or undocumented or poor or disabled, what would that be like? How would I want to be treated? And if that's our model for love, then followers of Jesus should be constantly assuming the posture of listening and learning from those unlike us, especially those on the underside of power. Of course, Jesus doesn't just call us to this kind of love. He's the very embodiment of it. See, we were once strangers and enemies of God. But Christ came to us, lived among us, and shared in our suffering, and ultimately laid down his life for us. So Antioch, may we go from here as Jesus reveals the unconverted places in our lives. And may our hearts be turned towards him and towards the world that he loves as we pursue peace and justice for all people everywhere.